All right, glad to have you here. Hope you got notes and these kind of good things going on. This is our study of the Lord's Prayer. And uh, we have been looking at, uh, to memorize the Lord's Prayer. We want to memorize it so that you utilize it. That which you memorize, you will utilize. We want to memorize it so that we can say it together and so that we can pray it together. Not just in your home, but in your grow groups and as family members. So let's say it together uh, in a heartfelt in prayerful and enthusiastic way. Amen? All right, let's do it. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and glory forever. Amen. Amen. Wonderful, wonderful. And in our study, uh, and there on your, on your uh, table, you have this chart. Uh, this is where we've been. This is Jesus teaches us. The way to pray before the words we say. So what we just recited is not to be recited mechanically or mindlessly. But he teaches us the wrong way. Uh, Not like a pharisaical hypocrite who's a prayer actor putting on a show to be seen of men and to be applauded for their fancy prayers. But also we don't want to pray like a pagan orphan. That is a prayer manipulator, modeled after the Gentile pagans, being heard by the gods to get answers. What we've seen, and we saw this last week, is we want to pray like God's holy child. Jesus says, pray then in this way. And be a prayer learner, not a prayer actor or manipulator. And instead of being like the Jewish Pharisees or the Gentile pagans, Be Christ's pupil and learn from him. And instead of being seen of men or heard of the gods who are distant, be like the son and pray to God who is your father. And you can see down at the bottom, the the prayer actor, the hypocrite at prayer has the heartache of phoniness. And the unsaved person who throws out prayers to a God that they do not know has the heartache of loneliness. But when we have the heart cry of a son, we have the heart cry of holiness. And that's why the Lord's Prayer begins, holy be your name. And so now we're moving in to the actual prayer. And as we do, I want you to watch this video that kind of gives you a summary of where we have been. What is prayer? Stale tradition? Ritual? A good luck charm? Part of some religious checklist? Done to appease a higher being so we can get what we want? Or at least avoid the lightning bolt? Prayer has been redefined and twisted and confused. But at its essence, prayer is simply talking to God. The God who spoke the universe into creation. 
who gives us life and breath, who holds all things together. This God wants us to talk to him in the vastness of all that exists. He actually cares about us personally, individually. How can we not pray to such a loving God wherever we are? How can we not thank him for what he's done or cry out when we need help, when we need forgiveness, when we're afraid, when we give thanks for our blessing or question where our next meal will come from? Why would we live a life apart from him? It's not about formula. How could any posture or well-chosen word impress the author of time and space? It's simple obedience. God has made himself available to us. He wants to hear from us. He wants us to trust in him, to acknowledge our dependence on him, to draw near to the one who loved us first. Approaching with confidence, because Christ has torn away the veil. He's washed away the sin that kept us from his presence. And we live in relationship with our Lord. And so we ask that his kingdom come, his will be done on earth and in our lives as it is in heaven. That is prayer. Good stuff. Good stuff. May God's Spirit use His Word this morning to penetrate our hearts with that reality. Well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Matthew 6, verse 9. Matthew 6, verse 9. And we're just simply looking at this. What's the invocation, the addressing of God? How do we address God in prayer as his holy children. Look at verse 9. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven. That's the invocation of our prayer. And so let me begin by just asking you, uh, who are you going to call? Okay, that's been made famous. I'm, you know, I've had a birthday, so I'm kind of thinking about that and uh, reliving my 80s life. And who are you going to call when you have a problem? Uh, who do you call when you have a product that you have a problem with? How many of you have ever been in, sent into what I call phone mail hell? You know, just that ever, I mean, it's just, I lose all sanctification. Uh, my wife and daughter, they leave the room. I'm, I'm calling, you know, I'm just, I just lose it, even with the robot man. You know, like, you know, do, would you like to talk to a human? Yes, Mr. Robot Man, I would like to. Stop asking me this. But listen, let's just stop right now and thank our Father in heaven that when we pray, we never get an eternal press one for this, press two for that. And then the most horrible one, because, you know, I used to, you used to be able to press zero and get out of that hell. But it, now when you press zero, you get, that is not a valid option. And, and then they start, robot voice repeats all of this again. But aren't you thankful that that is not what prayer is like? So who are you going to call when you're in need as a Christian? Are you going to call to the Father who is our creator? Do we address the Son? who redeemed us, or do we dress the Spirit who indwells us 
as believers. And the reality is this, we serve and know a triune God. So technically you can pray to the Spirit, you can pray to the Son. But here in verse 9, Jesus tells us in this command to pray who we are to call on. We are to call on our Father who is in heaven. That, But what I want you to see this morning, that's easier said than done. Because often our view of God as Father is defective. That's the bad news. The good news this morning is it doesn't have to remain that way. It can be different. Your calling on God, the Father in prayer, can be different. And I would say to you, it needs to be even dynamic. And so let's look at three facts about praying to our Father in heaven. So the first one, I'm not going to go heavy on it, but something we need to realize, our heart cry to the Father is often defective. It just is. Our heart cry to the Father. It's often so defective at such a heart level that we don't even know it's defective. Okay, we think our concept of God as Father is okay until He reveals Himself to us more. And we talked about this a little bit last week, but because this is where so many of us are, I want to begin with where we are, and then I'm praying and have been praying that God will take us to where He wants us to be. Because our praying is impacted by how we think about God and how we relate to God. The prayer actor, he doesn't think about God at all. He's thinking about self and other people. The prayer manipulator thinks about God like a heavenly vending machine. That if I say the right words for the right length of time and I use the right posture, then I'm going to get what I want. But the prayer learner thinks about God as his heavenly father or her heavenly father. For the prayer actor, prayer is a stage to be performed on before others. The manipulator, prayer is a machine to get what he or she wants. And for the prayer learner, prayer is a conversation with our heavenly father. And so that's what we want to think about today. But why? Why is it that our thoughts about God fall short? Okay, I'm going to give you three reasons. First of all, our thoughts of God are often dysfunctional due to our fallen fathers. I mean, it's hard to get around the fact that our first introduction to fathering is through our own fathers. And it's not uncommon for earthly fathers to be unfaithful to be unstable, even today more and more to be unknown, not even knowing who your father is. I don't know who my biological father is. Unreliable, uninvolved, unloving, unbelieving. In other words, just downright ungodly. That can happen. And more and more, when we talk about the fatherhood of God, we have to address these things. And I always have encountered this and delved into this, discipling other men, the issues of your father, your, 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 and, and it's mother too, but we're talking about the father, fatherhood of God. More and more, the first thoughts when you hear father in our culture, you think somebody that's divisive, 
Or you think of successive fathers, more than one man in the house, one after the other, sometimes at the same time. Passive, abusive, impulsive, and just plain personally offensive. I don't want to address God as father because this is the things that are brought to mind. Now, before you get too depressed, and we get too negative, there are a lot of dads that are impressive. Amen? There are impressive dads. Amen, Amber? Okay, we'll move on. I mean, I'm sorry you're here for this, this message. Um, they're impressive, and they're not ungodly. They're godly. But here's the fact of the matter. No matter how impressive your dad was or you are as a dad, we all woefully fall short of the fatherhood of God. So even the best dad, for the, the worst mistake anyone could ever make would be to equate their great dad on earth with the, and equate that with the Father in heaven because it, it doesn't, just doesn't compare. And we're going to see that today in this lesson. So, but it's not just all on dads either. The second reason we have a defective view of God the Father is it's distorted due to our fallen culture. We live in a fallen culture where fatherhood is politically incorrect. It just is over the decades. Increasingly, it's even politically incorrect to talk about the fatherhood of God even among Christians. Strong male leadership is just politically incorrect. And no doubt, a lot of that is due to growing abuse even among Christians and in Christian churches. So there's real issues, and then there's worldview, spiritual warfare issues. But way back in 2006, this is 2006, when Kenneth Woodward was the religion correspondent for the Newsweek magazine. Okay, so this is, there was magazines. That's a paper thing, right, that has print on it. And instead of being a talking head for a cable network, Ken Woodward, Woodward was the religion correspondent. And believe it or not, here's what he said then, and it's just more true now. Here's what he says. These are tough times to be a father. The media is full of stories about abusive fathers, fatherless children, and deadbeat dads, and about new fathers who are trying to do better. But in general... This is an age when fathers get little respect, and you don't have to look farther than the biggest father figure of them all, God. Then he goes on to say that there is a cultural gender trap. Most Christians and Jews still pray to God as father, but not for long if feminist theologians have their way. In the nation's elite divinity schools, students are taught to mind their metaphors. God the Father is out unless coupled with God the Mother. She who is, is Elizabeth Johnson's preferred phrase. Others talk simply of God-self and avoid the gender idea in any uh, a gendered name, because God has no gender, right? God is spirit. He's not male. He is spirit. And yet he's addressed as Father, Few theologians these days seem to want a God who takes charge, assumes responsibility, fights for his children, makes demands, risks rebuffs, punishes as well as forgives, in a word, a father. And that's just 
true even today. But listen, our thoughts of God the Father are not just out there. They are also inside of us. Often we are defective in our thinking of God the Father due to our own depraved fallen nature. Our own depraved fallen nature. And here's what I want to say to you about this. We do not naturally think rightly about God, much less think of him rightly as father. Does this make sense? Okay, this isn't going to come to you naturally. And even with good, solid biblical teaching like you like you get at our church, unless the spirit penetrates your heart with these realities, you're not going to connect with God and you're not going to think about God and relate to God as father. And you're not going to be able to get away from the, the, the heartbreaking consequences of abuse or the cultural pressure to think that we can make God in our image instead of him having to reveal himself to us. They just don't come to us naturally. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one, none that seek after God, much less understand that he's a loving heavenly father who gave his only begotten son so that we could be his own dear children. That doesn't come from anywhere other than the Bible and biblical teaching and preaching. And it doesn't penetrate your heart until the spirit applies it through the power of his word. To Muslims, Allah is the all-powerful and the all-merciful, but Father is not among his 99 names in Islam. In the complex family systems of Hindu gods and goddesses, Brahma is the creator. But in all of India, there's only a handful of temples in his name, whereas the sun-like avatars of Vishnu, Krishna, and Rama have thousands of temples. And in Buddhism, there is no creator. But it's noteworthy that in the story of the Buddha, Prince, he has to desert his wife before he can attain enlightenment. So what I'm saying is what we're looking at is radically unique to Christianity, and it's a God revealing himself to us. So Jesus is revealing to us how we should address God in prayer. And think about this. None of the central human figures in the world's religions are notably good fathers. You can trace it back. Even Abraham, the father of our faith, was not a great notably great dad. So we don't naturally think about this. So what has to happen? First, we need a relationship with God, and then we need a revelation from him about who he is. And so that's the second fact I want us to look at this morning, and it's this. Your defective view of God as Father can be different, just like mine can. And here it is. Our heart cry to the Father can be different. And let me even say this, it not only can be different, it can be divine. It can be like that of God the Son praying to God the Father. So let me show you why it can be different. First reason is the Son invites us to pray to God as our Father. Matthew 6, 9, right there in your Bible, is an invitation from God the Son 
to have a different view of God and a different way to pray to him. He invites us. But before he invites us, first, we need to be introduced to him. You can't call God your father unless you are his child. And so we talked about this last week, but I want to keep coming back to this. That all of this is grounded in a blood-bought relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. John 1, 12 through 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, born by God through the blood of his son. And then the legal right to be declared his son, not just a child, but also to be the legal right and the inheritance and the privileges and the responsibilities. Ladies, last in the weeks to come in your study, you're going to be talking about the firstborn aspect of being a firstborn. And there's privileges and there's honor attached to that. But having introduced us to God the Father in Matthew 6, 9, then he invites us to address God as our Father in prayer. And that's just an amazing thing. So this is the invitation. Now, for many of us, you've heard God the Father for decades, possibly, for many years, maybe all your life because you were raised in a Christian home. But the reality is this, to be invited by the Son to pray to God as our Father is a radical new privilege and revelation. So let me tell you a little bit about this, okay? The Old Testament way of addressing God was not by Father. It was not. In fact, God's name that he revealed, Yahweh, I am who I am, was so holy and considered so holy that for many decades and for many centuries, the Jewish people would not even pronounce that name. Instead of saying Yahweh uh, and, and that name, I am who I am, they would substitute the name Lord because it was just too holy. And even more rarely in the Jewish faith, in the Old Testament, was God addressed as Father. In fact, out of the entire 39 books of the Old Testament, God is listed as Father only 14 times. Now, you think about that. There's like 15,000, I don't know. I I read this week how many thousands of verses are in the Old Testament. 39 books, only 14 times. And get this, it was always in relation to the nation. Okay, it was never in relation. You don't find in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament books, the 39 books, that an individual is dressing God as father. No, he is he's revealed as the father in relation to the nation. And then Jesus of Nazareth comes on the scene and you come into the Gospels. And here is Jesus, God, the son of God incarnate. And we find on his lips Father 60 times. So 14 times in the whole Old Testament. And now all of a sudden Jesus is on the scene and God is Father, 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 Father 60 
times. And every single time that Jesus prayed, he said either Father or my Father. Every single time he prayed. Except for one exception. Do you know what that one exception is? The one time he prayed to God and didn't address him as Father was on the cross when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet that wasn't his last prayer, was it? His last prayer was, Father, into your hand, I release my spirit. And he breathed his last. So even on Jesus' last words on this earth before he died, the name of Father. Here's the reality of that. That short little history lesson tells us this. The heart cry of the Son to the Father is like none other. It's like no one before him. Let me give you a, a quote by J.I. Packer, uh, one of my favorite theologians. And here's what he says about this idea of God's fatherhood. Here's what Packer says. You sum up the whole of New Testament teaching in a single phrase if you speak of it as a revelation of the fatherhood of the Holy Creator. In the same way, you sum up the whole of New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's Holy Father. And then he made this famous quote. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he or she makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his or her father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship, and prayers, and his or her whole outlook on life, it means that he or she does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctly Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. And Packer says this is the great secret. And what he means by that, by the great secret, is that adoption is a greater theological truth than even justification. As Protestants, we're big into the Reformation and big into the justification to be declared right and as good as God. That's a glorious truth, amen? God looks at the likes of us and says, you are as good as me in your righteousness, not because you're righteous, because you have received the righteousness of my son. That's a beautiful thing, but sometimes we stop there. But Packer says adoption is even greater than justification. Why? Because he not only declares us to be right with him, but he declares us, To be like his firstborn sons, with all that privilege, with all that honor. And yes, even with that responsibility to cry out to him. So that's a beautiful thing. Your view of God as Father can be different because Jesus invites you to address him in that way. But secondly, don't think this all 
is dependent on you. I've got to change my heart. I've got to change my view of God. How do I overcome the negativity, the culture, maybe even abuse in my past? Well, the Spirit indwells us to cry out, Dearest Father. So it's not just Father. The Spirit indwells us to cry out from the depths of our heart, Dearest Father. And this brings us back to Jesus again and the reality that Jesus' heart cry was unique. And the reason it was unique is because he did not just pray Father, but he prayed the Aramaic Abba Father, Abba Father. And this was unique. No one, no one had done this like Jesus was doing it. Abba Father. So what does Abba mean? It's found in Mark 14, 36. He was praying in the garden. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. In his greatest time of temptation, in his greatest time of suffering, as he is about to take on the sins of the world and be a substitutionary sacrifice and suffer the eternal wrath of God as both God and man. He cries out, Abba, Father. And Abba takes us into not just the fatherhood of God, but the the family of God, but the intimacy with God. It is a word of great intimacy. So Father means we're family. Abba means we're intimate family because we all have family that can be distant, broken, separated. Uh, glad we see you once a year. Don't want to see you too much more type family relations. But that's not this. It's intimacy. And this word grows from the childlike daddy to the more mature but equally warm dearest father. A lot of pastors and teachers and maybe books you've read kind of reduce this idea of Abba to daddy. And that's not, you know, the the son of God, Jesus is not knelt in Gethsemane crying out to daddy. Okay, it's not that kind of familiarity. And in your Bibles, it's never separated. Abba, this intimacy is never separated from the Greek father, pater. And scholars think and i would agree with them they're uniting these because you don't want to get this over familiarity with god okay so it's abba but it's also father okay so the best translation uh and i I, and i agree with this is dearest father so your father i respect you i honor you but your dearest father you are my father you are Our Father. So what does this... Here's what it means. It means something like this. Uh, Well, the the ending of this word, Abba, can be emphatic and mean the Father, but it can also add an intimate thing of my Father, our Father. So here's the best translation, I think. It means something like this. Not a translation, but a definition. The Father of all fathers is now my Father And our Father. So when we cry out, Abba, Father, and the Spirit leads us to do that, we're saying, you're the Father 
of all fathers, the best of fathers, the greatest of fathers, and you're also mine and you're ours, all who believe in Christ. Amber used to call me, I swear I'm not including these because you're here. Amber used to call me daddy, used to call Gwen mommy, when she really wanted and needed her parents. And they're beautiful words. And uh, grandkids have all sorts of pet names for their grand- grandmas and grandpas. Now, we were, a little, we were grandmas and grandpas in my family. But there's Mama, Mima, Moo Moo, Momo, Mama Mia, Mima. You get the picture. I don't know. I, I, they're, they're fascinating. But Abba is more, what I want you to see, this isn't a pet name. This isn't a cutesy way to approach God. It's, it, Daddy doesn't necessarily cover it. It's the heart cry of a child, whether young or old, that needs what only a father can provide. Whether that be intimacy, protection, provision, Anything you need, anytime, anywhere, God the Father can be reached and will do what only He can do and reassure us. Isn't that a beautiful thing? F.F. Uh, F. Bruce, one New Testament scholar, says it's a term of loving nearness and trustful expectation. Now, here's what's amazing. Jesus made it possible for us to pray this way. Our heart cry is the same. We can cry out, Abba, Father. That's the amazing truth. So everything I've said thus far is the reality is that this can be ours. And it's ours through the Spirit. The Son made it possible. The Spirit makes it personal. Okay? That's the best way to sum it up. And this, begin, and this is found in Romans 8.15. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, Galatians 4, 6. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So three facts about this cry. This cry is a... this. This cry is a gift from the Father to us. What a beautiful thing. It's a gift from the Father to us. The Father gives us the spirit of His Son to cry out, Abba, Father. How much does God want you as His own dear child? Enough to send the Holy Spirit to dwell in your heart and make this a living reality. So I say this. It doesn't matter what your father, biological father was like. It doesn't matter whether you knew him or you didn't know him or you wish you never knew him. It doesn't matter what our culture is like. There's one within you as a believer that is greater than all that that teaches you about the fatherhood of God. And that's just, wow, that's just an amazing gift from the father. Secondly, this is a cry. This cry is not only a gift, it's a witness of the Spirit within us. It's a witness. Listen to Romans 8, 15 and 16. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. 
You have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. But verse 16, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. So this cry of the spirit within you is a witness that you're truly born again. In fact, the Apostle Paul says there's two spontaneous witnesses that you're, a, you're, that you're born again, that you're a true Christian. One is, by the Spirit you say, Jesus is Lord. And the second is, by the Spirit you pray and cry, Abba, Father. So listen, can you be a believer and not pray like this? And the answer is no. The Spirit is there moving you to do this. Can people pray this way and not be born again? Yes, of course, you can mouth the words. But the reality is this. If you're truly possessed by the Spirit, if you're truly born again by the Spirit who dwells in you, you're going to ultimately pray this way. It's a, an amazing thing. And so we should evaluate our prayer life as a witness to whether we're born again or not. How you pray doesn't save you, but once you're saved, it should shape how you pray. Thirdly, this cry is the heart cry of the Son by us. It's a heart cry to God for two things. When you and I pray, Abba, Father, be for us what no one else can be, our dearest Heavenly Father. Be for us. What no one else can be. In fact, as one commentator says on this, when we cry out, Abba, Father, it's like, God, be this. Be this in my life. But it's also do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, like your holy, be, live like your holy children. Be for us. What no one else can be, our dearest Heavenly Father. Do for us what no one, but what we cannot do for ourselves. Live like your holy children. And that's why these next requests are going to be so important in the next three weeks to come. Let our heart cry be for the Father's name to be holy. Abba, Father, don't let me do anything to dishonor. The family name. Your kingdom come. Our heart cry should be, Abba, Father, don't let me do anything to discourage the advancement of your kingdom. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Abba, Father, don't let me do anything to disobey you. Let me spread the family name. Let me help the family business to succeed and help me to show the family likeness to the people around me. All of these requests that we're going to pursue, they're all tied to the fatherhood of God. Make sense? Yeah. And why is this all possible? Thirdly, it, your cry can be different, your prayer can be different, your view of the Father, because the Father intervenes for us from heaven. So the Son invites us, 
God the Son, God the Spirit indwells us, and then God the Father intervenes for us from heaven. Our Father who is in where? Our Father who is in heaven. Heaven. What does that mean for God to be in heaven? Well, I would say three things I want to really focus on. First, our Father is profoundly mysterious like no other. When he says in heaven, heaven is a place, but it's more than a place. It's much more. It's more than God being up there. How many of you ever heard address the big guy in the sky? That's not what in heaven means. It means things like this, that God is holy, he's unique, he's like no other, he's second to none. Listen to these verses, Deuteronomy 4.39. Today, recognize and keep in mind that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. Deuteronomy 33.26. There is none like the God of Israel who rides the heavens to your aid, the clouds in his majesty. Psalm 97.9. For you, Lord, are the most high over the whole earth. You are exalted above all the gods. And then even Jesus in Matthew 23.9. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. The idea being, don't treat anyone on this earth like he or she is your God, because you have one God. Our Father is perfectly majestic like no other. He's not only profoundly mysterious, but being in heaven means he's perfectly majestic. Why do I say that? Because here in the Sermon on the Mount, listen, it's Matthew 5.48. Jesus says, therefore you are to be perfect... As your heavenly father is perfect, his holiness. That's why he's he's utterly separate, utterly unique, utterly holy. And yet he's our father. The teacher in Ecclesiastes 5.2 says this. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. And Jesus has already said, don't pray lengthy prayers. He's in heaven. He already knows what you need. Okay, so so you don't have to explain, you know, how difficult your boss is. He already knows. Ask for your boss to be saved, for you to be transferred, whatever it is. Ask. And then thirdly, our father is powerfully mighty. That's what it means to be in heaven. He's powerfully mighty like no other. Man, Psalm 119, 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. He speaks and it's done. It's created. You're born again through his speaking the word through the gospel. Psalm 135, 5. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, 
in the seas and in all the deeps. Listen, this is the powerful God who we get to address as father. And you know what that means? That he is so powerful. He is so mighty that he provides for us better than any other father could do. Give us this day our daily bread. He pardons us quicker than any other father could. Forgive us our sins, our debts. He protects us longer and stronger than any father ever could. Deliver us from evil. Do you see how all these petitions that we're going to look at for the next six weeks are all tied in to a father who is in heaven? And so, yeah, my dad is stronger than your dad. And as a believer, you can say that. And all of this, he provides better. He pardons quicker. He protects longer and stronger. Isn't that beautiful? So here's the bottom line. Our heart cry to the Father should be dynamic. Like your expressions are right now. Maybe a little more. That's a little speaker joke there. Okay. Should be dynamic. Why should they be dynamic? Here, Listen, everything that we've said, the test now becomes, all that we've said, our thoughts of God should, number one, change the way we think. It should change the way we think about God, about ourselves, and about others. Self-centered thinking can be replaced now with God-centered thinking and other-centered thinking. And you know why that is? Because I no longer have to worry about me because I have a Father in Heaven who is doing that. So I don't have to protect my turf. I don't have to worry about my future. I don't have to be concerned when I lose my job. And all those things are real, and we come to Him, and we cry out about those things, but the reality is we can be God-centered in the midst of all that. Self-centered thinking can be replaced with God-centered thinking. And not only that, it frees us to think of other people. Listen, when we're focused on self, we're not thinking of others. But when you have the fatherhood of God changing your thoughts, now you're free to think of others. Why? Um, Because (laughs) he's thinking of me. Again, let me quote Packer. Meanwhile, Packer says, the immediate message to our hearts of what we have studied in the present chapter, which is about the sonhood or being God's sons, surely this, do I as a Christian understand myself? Do I know my own real identity, my own real destiny? I am a child of God. God is my father. Heaven is my home. And every day is one day nearer. My Savior is my brother. Every Christian is my brother or sister too. Say it over and over to yourself. First thing in the morning. Last thing at night. As you wait for the bus. Anytime your mind is free. Get off your phones. He didn't say that. Ask that you may be enabled to live as one who knows it is all utterly and completely true. This is the Christian secret of a Christian life and of a God-honoring life. God is my Father. It should change the way we think. Secondly, it should change the way we live. 
It should change the way we live. Why do I say that? I'm free to give because he provides for me. See, I don't have to worry about, I don't have to have a scarcity mindset. I can be, have a generosity mindset. Why? Give me this day my daily bread. He provides so I can give. I'm free to forgive others because I have a father that's quick to pardon me. Forgive me my debts. Forgive us our debts as just as we also forgive those, the debts of others. Three, I'm free to live for God because I have a father who is strong enough to protect me. So I can go where God leads. I can stay where God says stay. I can work through a difficult relationship. I don't have to be a runner. And I don't have to be a judger in all of those things. And then finally, it should change the way we pray. So there in your notes, it says, God is our Father. Come to Him with a childlike boldness. Rush into His presence, just like your kids rush into yours. And you don't say, get out of here. Go back, knock on the door, and then come in. God is our dearest Father. Cry out to Him with heartfelt tenderness. And God is our Heavenly Father. Count on Him for life-changing holiness. That's just radical. Okay, so I pray and I my prayer has been that God's spirit is penetrating your hearts with these truths. So look at this handout. And the question is, how is your heart cry to your dearest father? So take this handout. I have one every week. You're going to have one for the next six weeks. It kind of reviews the lesson. And then you have space to write out. What did God say to you? And. You know, in Jesus, I pray, I hope that he has said something to each of us. And then I just got prayer prompts. You could pray through the Lord's Prayer, which I hope you're starting to do. But you can also use the P-R-A-Y every day. And so if you're a prayer learner and you're just starting in this, take this sheet and for the next five days, just meditate. Think about the lesson. Go over your notes. But more than anything, get with God and pray. Amen? Because we have a God who is our Father in heaven. And that's just an amazing blessing, amazing privilege. And Jesus is the one that invites us to do that way. Let's pray. So, God, we can't help but call you Father And the Spirit cries out, Abba, Father. And the Son has invited us. Lord, let us accept the invitation. Change our hearts so that we change the way we pray. And let's overcome any defective views, any dysfunctional relationships. And let your Spirit just cry out to you Abba Father in the name of the Son Jesus Christ we pray Amen